Well, good morning. It is a joy to be back with you all, to be able to sing praises to our God, to be able to pray to our Father who hears us, um, and to be able to open God's Word uh, with you with you all. Um, it's a privilege to be back and to be able to expose the Book of Romans. Um, uh, if you've been joining us before, we've been doing a big picture overview of one of the most well-known, deeply theological, doctrinal books in the Bible, and it's the Book of Romans. Um, and sort of the main point that we have sort of used as an overarching umbrella to the series is this, is that true, sound doctrine fuels missions to the unreached. And so in this deeply doctrinal, theological book, we, we looked at, we saw that true, sound doctrine fuels missions to the unreached. And so I'm thankful, I was looking on your website even the past few days and saw that your pastor is going through Romans in a much uh, smaller bit by bit. Um, and so what I'm looking forward to is that at the end of this, a lot of you may be contacting me or others about being overseas, of working among the unreached. And so if that happens, I just talk to your pastor, he'll give you my email, and hopefully we'll see many of you in Central Asia in the years to come, uh, working among unreached peoples there. Um, and so that's my continual prayer for you guys and other churches in America that as um, preaching grows and strong preaching, doctrinal preaching grows in the churches here, that more people will be fueled to go to do missions to the unreached. Uh, let's just look at this uh, once again in Romans. We're going to fly over a lot of things. I just want to do a quick recap of where we've headed and then jump into our focus for today. Uh, but once again, the main point of Romans is that true sound doctrine fuels missions to the unreached. And we looked at Romans 1, 14 through 15 um, in part one of the series where Paul says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And there's this phrase in verse 14, he's under obligation or he's indebted. And so Paul's basically saying that because I, Paul, own the gospel by faith, that now I owe the gospel. I have this obligation to take the gospel to all people. He's not talking about an option. Right? He's talking about this obligation where we must give sacrificially for missions to the unreached. We must go willingly to bring the gospel to the unreached, no matter what the cost, however God leads, to get the gospel to those who have never heard it. And we looked at, uh, in part one, that, well, what are the statistics? Well, there's currently about 3.11 billion people. Right? That's 42.2% of the world's population, spanning over 6,700 people groups, ethnic groups who are right now considered unreached with the gospel. That's a lot. Four out of ten people in this world are considered unreached. And so we answered that, we looked at the question, is what does it mean then to be unreached? Right? If that many, peop many people are unreached, what does it mean to be unreached? And in Romans, we see four things, biblically, to be unreached. First, you have knowledge of God. You have knowledge of God. In Romans 1, 19 through 20, it talks about the wrath of God being revealed and why, in verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So all people in all creation have knowledge of God. I mean, how? Because God has made it plain, evident to us through creation. So all people, including the unreached, have knowledge of God through God's creation. But then second biblical truth in Romans is that you have rejected God. And so he keeps going, beginning in verse 21 of chapter 1. For, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And so in Romans 1, 21 to 25 Paul captures the sinful nature of all men, all people, right? We all have turned aside from God. We've all worshipped other things instead of God. And while it looks different in different places, the truth is the same. All people, right? Us, 
unreached peoples. We all have rejected God. We all have exchanged the glory of God to then worship other things instead of God. So you have knowledge of God, you have rejected God, and the third biblical truth is you stand condemned before God. That's the third biblical truth. You stand condemned before. That's just the whole argument Paul is building from Romans 1.18 all the way through 3.20. So if you look at verse 18, he begins by explaining this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So in these first few chapters, he's explaining why the eternal wrath of God deserves to be poured out on all of humanity. He's, he's building up, and it culminates in chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. In chapter 3, 9 through 12, What then, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, all people, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. So all humanity right, is indicted. All humanity is guilty. All humanity is sinful by nature and by action. So all people are sinners who stand condemned before God. And we're all deserving of eternal death and suffering in hell. But so far we've seen that these truths right, are true for all peoples. Right? Not just unreached peoples. And so the fourth biblical truth is the huge, huge difference between unreached peoples and all other peoples, including this very unchurched, anti-Christian Los Angeles area. And the difference is this weighty, sobering fourth biblical truth, and it is this, you have never heard the good news of God. You have never heard the good news of God. And well, let's see in Romans 15, 20 through 21. I mean, are there people like this? Romans 15, 20 through 21. Paul says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. And there's this place, not where Christ has already been named. Lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see. Those who have never heard will understand. So there's this category of people who have never been told of him, who have never heard. And so if you're unreached, and what it means is that nobody has ever told you the gospel. Right? That there is a God in heaven who loves sinners so much that while all these things were true, we have knowledge of God, we've rejected God, we stand condemned before God, that even though all these things are true, while we are still sinners, He sent His Son to die on the cross for sin. And you currently don't even know one Christian who can tell you that truth. You don't even have a church you can drive by in case you're interested with questions. There's no church around you to drive by to ask those questions to learn about these truths. And in many of these places, you don't even have a Bible in your own language where you can read to tell you these truths, these good news about God. You have never heard the good news about God, about Jesus Christ. You currently don't have access to hear it either. Right? No access to hear that the story doesn't end with Romans 3.20, with condemnation. And that the story goes on, where in Romans 3.21, we see some of the sweetest words in Scripture. I've looked at so many different translations, and they're all about the same. It begins with, but now. Right? All these things of bad news are true, but now. There's good news offered. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, though the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God, not through works or what we do or don't do, but it's through Faith, verse 22, faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ alone for all who have believed. For there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's true, but they are justified. They're declared righteous by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So you never heard this good news. So friend, if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, we're glad you're here, but I want to tell you that this news 
that you're hearing. This is the greatest news in all of history, in all the world. There's a lot of news you can get from the internet or through social media or other things, but this is the greatest news that you could ever hear. That we as sinful people, we can be forgiven and have a relationship with God. And it's all because of who Jesus is and what he's done. So this church, we invite you to repent and believe in Jesus for salvation. Now, beloved Christian brothers and sisters, let us first praise God that by his undeserved grace, we have heard this good news. But then second, let us recognize that, that we cannot go on with life with business as usual. Because everything we have learned about the gospel from God's word, all the sound doctrine that is regularly proclaimed and taught in this church is not meant, right, just to fill our heads. It's not just to make us smarter to be able to answer or pass theology quizzes. No, all the sound doctrine we learn is meant to feel us, to, for God to send us out to others, to sinful people, to unreached people. So we must give sacrificially. We must go willingly to bring the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to unreached peoples and places. Now, in the rest of the book of Romans, all the rich theology, the sound doctrine Paul writes is meant to give us more fuel. And he gives us at least four reasons why. Four reasons in the book of Romans why we must give sacrificially, why we must go willingly to the unreached. And we're going to run through the first three because it's still review. First is their plight. Their plight. There's all going to be P's. So all P's, four things, all P's. Their plight. First reason is because unreached people's knowledge of God is only enough to damn them to hell. And that's what we saw through Romans 1 and 3, where creation and conscience give all people knowledge of God, that they are willful and wretched sinners before the holy and righteous God, deserving of his wrath and condemnation. But that's it. That's all that creation and conscience gives all people. So there's currently 3.11 billion people who have knowledge of God only sufficient to damn them to eternal suffering and hell. Where unless something changes by the obedience of faith of God's people, then all these people, they will be born, and they will live, and they will die, having never even heard how they can be saved from hell to go to heaven to be forever with God. Friends, we can't turn a deaf ear and a blind eye to this reality. But this is just one reason, just one reason why we must give sacrificially and go willingly. The second reason is the gospel's power. Their plight, reason one. Second, the gospel's power. Because the gospel of God is powerful enough to save them for heaven. And so before the wrath of God is explained, in Romans 1, 16 through 17, Paul gives us hope. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ has sufficient power to save. There's not a single person, there's not a people group in this planet that's beyond God's power to save. When we go and when we open our mouth and share this gospel, people will be saved. How do we know this? Revelation 5, 9, we see a picture of the end. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll, to open and seal, for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed. This happened. You ransom people for God from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. So these same blood and gospel of Jesus Christ is powerful enough to save all kinds of people, including unreached peoples. So friends, if this is true, and it is, and we believe this truth, then we can't just sit back and keep this powerful news to ourselves. We must give sacrifice. We must go willingly to take this all-powerful gospel to the ends of this earth. But that's the second reason. The third reason is God's plan. So their plight, the gospel's power, third reason is God's plan. 
because the plan of God includes the sacrifices of his people. We saw this in Romans 10, 11 through 15, where it says this, for the scripture says, everyone, right? Unreached peoples are not. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him for everyone. Anyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how is this to be done? And, and God answers this, verse 14 in Romans 10. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom, in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. So with 3.11 billion people who are unreached, the question often comes, hey, why can't we just pray more? Or why can't we just pray for visions and dreams to happen? Because we hear book, we read books or hear stories of people having visions and dreams about Jesus. I mean, why can't we just pray more for that? I mean, couldn't God make the gospel known in other ways? Well, I mean, sure, God is God and he could, and God has occasionally used things like dreams. But in Scripture, like passages like this, God tells us why he does not normally do that. Because God, in his sovereign will, God has chosen to give you, to give me, to give us the privilege and the joy to make this gospel the greatest news ever known to others. So the church of God, giving sacrificially and going willingly, is the plan of God. God's plan for global missions is His church. God's plan for global missions is not a small, compartmentalized ministry or a missions team off to the side. God's plan in Scripture is a mindset. It's a lifestyle that permeates all of who we are as God's people, where all of us are just ordinary Christians doing ordinary things, but with gospel to the nation's intentionality, where everything we do is trying to further the gospel to the nations. So God's plan is his saved people giving sacrificially and going willingly so the glory of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ would spread to all the nations. That's his plan. It's what he designed. So that's the first three reasons. Their plight, the gospel's power, and God's plan. And the fourth reason is this. And this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. So we're going to slow down and we're going to just meditate on this fourth reason. And it's this. It's Jesus Christ's praise. Jesus Christ praise because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, He deserves the praises of all peoples. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, deserves the praises of all people. And we saw this in the bookends in Romans 1, 5. He talks, about, um, he talks about the gospel of Jesus Christ, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Right? So God wants Jesus Christ's name to be worshipped among all the nations. And then Romans 16, 26, before, as he closes this book, he talks about the gospel once again and how it's been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith and it's to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. And so this is the ultimate reason. This is the ultimate reason why we must give sacrificially and go willingly because Jesus, the Son of God, is worthy of worship among so many more people. Jesus deserves the praises of all peoples. And John Piper helpfully says this. He says, missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. So the rest of our time, we're going to meditate on the worth of Jesus. The worth of Jesus, who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And so we're just going to try as much as we can to do a survey of Romans and just see the worth of Jesus. And as we do so, and as you guys study through Romans, through however many weeks Jeremy preaches, I just encourage you to always 
look at this phrasing, and instead of saying, Jesus is these things, these rich, theologically true things, say this, as you go through Romans, Jesus deserves the praises of all peoples as blank. Right? So in just saying, instead of just saying, Jesus is this, say, no, Jesus Christ, he deserves the praises of all peoples as blank as these things. Let's look through it. In Romans 1, 1 through 6, Jesus deserves the praise of all peoples as the only promised Messiah of old. Romans 1, 1 through 6, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And what is it all about? It's concerning his son, who is descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. And so Jesus deserves the praise of all peoples because he's the only promised Messiah of old. He was promised even since the first sin in Genesis. And Jesus Christ has been promised all throughout the Old Testament prophets. All throughout the Old Testament scriptures, Jesus Christ has been talked about. Jesus Christ is the promised son of David, the Davidic king, and he is God's son, and he's the only promised Messiah who is fully God and descended according to the flesh where he's fully human. And there's nobody like Jesus Christ in all of history, right? We have a fully divine being who's also fully human. And where it says he's also holy, he's powerful to conquer death by his resurrection. He's the reigning Lord whom we serve. And it says he's all because of grace. I mean, Jesus Christ, he deserves the praise of all peoples because of who he is. But then after the bad news that we see in Romans 1, 18 through 3, 20, and we saw already the good news beginning in Romans 3.21. We see the good news. It all centers on who? Jesus. Right? I mean, look at it again. Romans 3.21-22. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And so Jesus deserves the praises of all people as the only righteousness of God. And what's amazing is that Jesus Christ is not only, quote, the righteousness of God, right? As if he's the only perfect righteous being, and he's just saying, look at me, you guys all stink. Right? He just, he's not trying to elevate himself, but he's the one who also is able to then give us his righteousness, and that's incredible. There's an, a perfect being who looks at unrighteous, filthy, wretched people, and he says, I am so amazing in my righteousness that I could then cover all of your unrighteousness, and then you become righteous. And he's able to give righteousness to everyone who just simply believes, just, just has faith that this is true, and you're declared righteous. I mean, there, there's nobody like Jesus in all the world, in all of history, and Jesus deserves praise as the only righteousness of God. And if you keep going, he deserves praise as the only way for justification. For all have sinned, we keep going in verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. So once again, right, we are sinners before God. We are guilty, right? The language here is talking about a courtroom before God, before God the judge, and he's giving the sentence of condemnation. But yet Jesus Christ, he gave up his righteous life as a substitute for sinners. And there's that word, propitiation. And if we think about it, this is amazing because every single time we're sinning, we are storing up more wrath for ourselves. Right? And you have all of humanity in all of history 
constantly sinning, doing sin after sin, and we're all storing up wrath upon wrath that we deserve justly for our sin, wrath that is eternal that should be poured out upon us. But then you have one man, Jesus Christ, who on the cross can simply drink the full weight and all of the wrath of God in just one instance where he drank all of God's eternal wrath down to its bitter dregs and he could then satisfy God's eternal wrath. And this is tied to Romans 1.8, right? If you just read, it's talking about the wrath of God is revealed against all humanity, against all unrighteousness. And you can just feel the weight of how unrighteous the world is in all of these things. And then you say that he's simply put forward as a propitiation by his blood. So by his one death on the cross, all of this wrath that is stored up is satisfied. And it's only for those who have faith where we're just simply once again declared righteous, justified as a gift with no more guilt. And so Jesus deserves praise as the only way for God to be both just and the one who can say, you are forgiven and the justifier. But then we keep going on. Jesus deserves praise in Romans 5. He deserves the praises of all peoples as the only way to peace, as the only way to peace. Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you keep going down, verse 11, More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And so in this part of the gospel, Paul is talking not, not about a courtroom anymore. He's talking about our relationship with our eternal God. And he's talking about that our sin, our, our rebellion, our treason has made us objects of wrath. We have this broken relationship where we're no longer God's friends, we're his enemies. Right? God is declaring war on us because of our sin. But then we see that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the Son of God, that his death is fully sufficient to then mend that that, that, that broken relationship that to produce peace with God, and it's only through faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, all throughout Scripture, you see that people, when they're trying to face God, that, that, that they're trembling before His presence, that they're, they're scared because they know they deserve to be crushed as God's enemies. But Jesus Christ died for enemies to reconcile us to God. So Jesus Christ deserves praise as the only way to peace. And in that peace, Jesus deserves praise for providing the only access to God. Romans 5.2, he talks about this peace with God. And then also, through him, we have also obtained access. Access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So once again, we're created for a relationship with God, but we severed that relationship through sin. And Jesus made the way. I mean, all throughout the Old Testament, you always have these barriers where sinful people can go a little bit close to God, but they can never have access fully to God. And there's always this barrier that reminded them that their sin separated them from full access to God. But not anymore through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're now, through faith and faith alone, we can enter at any point. We don't even need to go to a temple. We can enter any place at any time, and we can stand in the holy presence of God. And we don't need to stand trembling in fear. But we can stand in the presence of the holy God, rejoicing that Jesus Christ has done it all that he paved the way, that he tore the curtain of the temple, that he reconciled us, and he opened up the way. I mean, as we look at all the different worldviews and religions throughout this world, we're seeing that everyone's trying to find a way to gain access to God. They're always trying to find a way to maybe gain favor with God. But in all of them, they're, they're scared. They're fearful. They're, they're trying to get in, and, but they're trembling. And we can offer 
to unreached people. We're going to offer to sinful people the praise of Jesus saying, there's a person through whom you can gain access to God with rejoicing and no longer any fear. Jesus Christ deserves the praises of all peoples for this truth. And if you keep going on in Romans 5, 6 through 8, Jesus Christ deserves the praises of all peoples as the only one who dies for the ungodly, for the unrighteous. Romans 5, 6 through 8, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. And he just says what is true, right? We know in our own lives, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Even if you see a righteous person, maybe you'll die for someone who's in your part of your family. But even if you see someone else you don't know who's relatively righteous, one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But, but God, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners. While we're still enemies, while we're still objects of wrath, Jesus Christ died for us. This, this is incredible. Once again, there is nobody like Jesus. I mean, even if we think about our own lives, who will we give up our life for? Maybe our family, definitely our family, maybe some of our friends, maybe the president, depending on who you are. But how would you give up your life for a murderer or a traitor or one of the dictators who have killed millions of peoples in different countries or, or the people called the infidels? And we know even several religions where if you're considered an infidel, right, it's in their religious book where you deserve to die for your infidelity. Or you don't deserve somebody else to die for your infidelity. But no, Jesus Christ, while we're still sinners, while we're still ungodly, while we were unrighteous, Christ died for us. And there's no one like him. So Jesus Christ, beloved, he deserves praise for that. It is not just for us, right, just to sing about on Sundays by ourselves or to sing about or pray about in our own little homes while holding these truths to ourselves. No, we need to declare to all the world, this is who he is, and he deserves your praise. The whole world deserves to praise Jesus for who he is and what he has done. You keep going on Romans 5, 18 to 20. He deserves praise as the only giver of eternal life. Romans 5, 18 through 21. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life. And this is eternal life is through who? You guessed it, through only one, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Right? From Adam onward, the constant drumbeat is life, then death. Life, then death. That's sort of what Genesis 5 is all about. You got someone lived so and so many years, he had children, and then he died. So and so lived, had children, and then he died. There's this constant drumbeat of death all throughout Scripture because of sin. But yet after so much sin from every single human being since Adam, Jesus Christ, one life of righteousness, was sufficient to reverse all of it. Right? Jesus Christ's righteousness, he destroys sin and death, and he's able to give eternal life to all who believe. I mean, Jesus Christ, he deserves praise for what he can do. And Jesus Christ deserves praise as the only one who can change us from the inside out. Romans 6, 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. 
And we see it all around us. So many people, right? We all want to change. We all want to get better. But every other philosophy or worldview is, is all talking about some behavioral change, some outward change. And we know that outward change can only go so far and is temporary. But Jesus Christ can change people from within, from, from their very heart. And this kind of change is radical. It is lasting. We're sinful people. We're no, we no longer have to sin. We're no longer dead in sin. We are alive in Christ. We're given new hearts. There's nobody else. There's no other worldly. There's no other system out there that can give people a new heart. But Jesus Christ just reaches in and he takes out our sinful heart and he gives us his new heart where we can walk in newness of life and it's only because of Jesus. This Jesus deserves to be praised by all peoples. He deserves praise as the only one who delivers us from the body of death, Romans 7, 18 through 25. Where he talks about his sin, Paul's talking about this, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I want, what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in the, my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Brothers and sisters, I don't know if you often say this as you struggle with sin, but I do. Oftentimes I struggle with the same sin over and over, and I'm, God, and I'm praying to God, wretched man that I am. When will I stop doing these things again? When will I stop sinning again? Who will deliver me from this body of death? Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We know that he can deliver us. So then I myself serve the law of God in my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Jesus Christ is the only one whose life, death, and resurrection not only pays the full penalty of sin, declaring us righteous, but Jesus Christ also sets us free from the power of sin to live for him today. But that's not it. Jesus Christ is the only one who will one day deliver us from the very presence of sin itself. And as we struggle with sin, we can have certain hope because of Jesus. Jesus Christ will one day deliver us from our body of death, and he will give us new, glorified, resurrected bodies. There is nobody that can do that except Jesus Christ, and he deserves praise as the only one who can do that. And then Romans 8, Jesus Christ deserves praise as the only one who secures no condemnation. No condemnation. In verse eight, chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, the whole chapter of Romans 8 is excellent, but in this world, right, we recognize we are, there's so much condemnation all around us. And I don't know about you, but I often feel lots of condemnation. Maybe other people want to condemn us. Maybe sometimes our own conscience condemns us. Right? We're, we're feeling guilty because of something we've done. Maybe sometimes, often maybe we, we can believe that, okay, God can maybe forgive me. Or maybe other people can forgive me, but we struggle and we realize or we feel like we can't forgive ourselves. Like we're so disappointed in our own sin that we can't forgive ourselves. And so there's condemnation all around us, but... In the gospel of Jesus Christ, like in Romans 8.1, there is a person through whom he secures no condemnation. Listen, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are in him, you're enfolded into him, united to him by faith alone, there is no condemnation. Right? There's nobody who does that but Jesus Christ. Where in him there's no guilt 
There's no condemnation. And in Romans 9.33, there's no shame as well. And so, so often we could think, okay, I'm okay with no longer being guilty, but I'm ashamed of what I just did. I'm ashamed to share it. I'm ashamed for the sin to be exposed. But no, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, he says, no, I cover your shame as well. Not only do I not condemn you, but I'm going to cover your shame. Only Jesus Christ in living the Christian life, only Jesus Christ motivates people to good deeds, not through guilt, not through shame, not through fear, not through work salvation, that I'm going to accept you or love you more because of what you do. No, Jesus Christ is the only one who motivates because of the greatness of who he is and what he has done in the gospel, where he's covered us and say, no, you already have no condemnation. You already have no guilt. You already have no shame because I've covered it all. So now then go and live freely. He motivates because of who he is and what he has done, where we're totally safe and secure in him. No guilt, no condemnation, no shame, and no fear. But then Romans 8, 31 through 39, he keeps going. So not only is the negative true that we don't have, we have no condemnation, but he goes all the way to the other side, and he gives us the fullness of what could possibly be good to have in Romans 8, 31, where Jesus Christ deserves praise as the only one who secures eternal and full love. Romans 8, 31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? There's no one because Jesus Christ is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. And the question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as in for your sake we are being killed all the day long, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, not just who saved us, but he loves us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Beloved, not only is there no condemnation, guilt, and shame, no negatives in Christ, there's also fullness of love. That's complete positive. So nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of Christ and the love of God. Jesus Christ deserves praise as the only one who secures eternal love. Then in chapter 10, we, we see this again. He deserves praise as the only Savior again. But then Romans 11, we're going to keep going through. Jesus Christ deserves the praises of all people as the only way of salvation humanly inconceivable. I mean, hopefully you've seen it thus far. Right? Jesus Christ is utterly unique. I mean, there is nobody like him. There is no system, worldview, world religion, no prophet that any other religion tries to put forward that is anywhere close to who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. He is utterly unique. He is humanly inconceivable. Right? Even imagine what a fully God and a fully human being could be like. Right? It, it can only come through revelation in the Bible who Jesus Christ is. And so that's why before Paul turns to what it means, therefore, as he concludes sort of this doctrinally rich section of Romans 1 through 11, he can't just help but give praise to God and praise Jesus as the only way of salvation, humanly inconceivable. Romans 11, 30 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him, through him, to him are all things. So to him be glory forever. Amen. Jesus Christ deserves praise. He deserves the praises of all peoples. There is no one like him in the salvation that he provides. But then even as you code it through Romans 12 through 15 and to the more of the practical things, we see that Jesus Christ also deserves praises of all people as the only one sufficient enough 
to transform all of society itself. And we don't have time to go through chapters 12 through 15. I mean, you'll go through it more in depth with Jeremy, but we see that the power of Jesus Christ, his unique power, is not only to save. Salvation is not just future-oriented. No, but we see in Romans that the power and salvation of Jesus changes people also in the here and now. And only Jesus changed people can truly change society. And so even, let's just run through briefly, Jesus deserves praise as the only one who can, chapter 12, verse 2, transform minds to know what is good, acceptable, and perfect. I mean, we look at all around us, right? This world is writing books after books or blogs after blogs trying to tell us and trying to define what is good, what is acceptable, and trying to reshape that which is true, trying to rechange sexual ethics or other things. But no, those types of people, through the gospel, their minds can be transformed to know that those things are wrong and bad and to know that the scriptures are good, that what God says is acceptable, what God says is perfect. Then 12.3, Jesus deserves praise as the only one who can instill true humility in people to think more highly of others. Jesus Christ is the only one who can make people truly loving, generous, content, thankful, chapter 12, verse 9 to 13. Jesus is the only one who can move persecuted people to bless their persecutors and not to curse them, Romans 12.14. I mean, if you think about what it looks like to be persecuted for your faith, Every other person responds with violence or revenge. But no, Jesus Christ can change people not to harm or want to do evil and curse their persecutors, but to move persecuted people to bless their persecutors. Only Jesus Christ can change people to do that. Romans 12, 21 only Jesus Christ deserves praise as the only one who can move people who experience injustice to trust God to avenge. To trust God that God will avenge and bring true justice into good and not to take justice into our own hands. And even in the governments that we live in today, in Romans 13, 1 through 7, right, Jesus Christ is the only one who can help people submit to and respect governments that are very imperfect. And to trust and to respect and to pray for presidents and their councils and other people who are very imperfect. Jesus Christ is the only one who can give people desire, not to gratify their flesh and desires, not because of negative consequences of, of bad karma or something else, but simply because of satisfaction in Jesus, chapter 13, 8 through 14. And in all of chapter 14, only Jesus Christ can make people willing to give up their rights, give up their preferences, give up their wants and desires for the good and building up of others. And hopefully you get the point of Romans, right? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, He is worthy. Jesus is not just worthy for Paul. Jesus is not just worthy for those in Rome. Jesus is worthy. He is deserving of all praise among all peoples. So everything, all the rich sound doctrine Paul's in writing in Romans leads to Paul writing chapter 15 before he closes with final greetings in chapter 16. And in Romans 15, 8 through 13, he says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles, so at that time the unreached peoples were pretty much all Gentiles, the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you, Christ I will praise Christ among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, rejoice, unreached peoples, with those who are currently His people. And again, verse 11, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Praise the Lord, all you currently unreached peoples. Let all the peoples extol Him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Friends, this worthy Jesus, he is the only hope for all the nations. The praiseworthiness, the worth of Jesus is the resounding drumbeat all throughout the book of Romans. 
Why? Because the worth of Jesus Christ is the ultimate reason for global missions. So all in all, as Paul writes Romans to be his mission support letter to the unreached, yes, he motivates, he obligates us with their plight. The sobering reality that unreached peoples only have enough knowledge of God to damn them to hell. Yes, Paul motivates, he obligates us with the gospel's power, right? Confidence-building truth that the gospel of God is powerful enough to save any and all sinners for God in heaven. Yes, Paul motivates, he obligates us with God's plan. The privilege, the joy that God's plan to spread the gospel to all peoples is his church. His people willingly giving sacrificially and going to the nations. But all throughout Paul's mission support letter of Romans, the steady drumbeat is Jesus Christ's praise. The glory, the worth of Jesus deserves to be seen, to be savored, to be spread by all to all. Jesus, the Son of God, is worthy of worship among all nations. Jesus deserves the praises of all peoples. This is the ultimate. This is the overarching reason why it's not an option. Why we are obligated. We must give sacrifice. We must go willingly to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to all peoples. So with that said, let's close in prayer with how Paul closes Romans. In Romans 16, 25 to 27. This will be our closing prayer. Now to him who's able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen.